0: back. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today, I have another special guest. I have with me Dr. Ed Uzinski. We're going to be getting into a little bit of critical theory and, uh, and Ed's personal experience, his lived experience, if you will, uh, in uh, wrestling with this and thinking through different aspects of critical theory. Ed, thanks for coming on the podcast, man.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here Parker. Glad we're finally able to to pull this one off.
0: Yeah, man. So I I've been a, a big fan of yours since uh well, uh maybe a little bit before this but but since I saw the uh the article that you did about cheerleading. The article that you
1: did about cheerleading.
0: And uh you just put your face yes. right in the, right in the buzzsaw there. It was wild.
1: Yep, that was a few years ago. That one got some heat.
0: Yep. Yep, and I loved it. So, so since that moment, I saw I started seeing you as a guy who would um, say it how it is. You're you're not trying to be offensive or anything like that, but you're saying, "Hey, this is what the the word says, and let's think through this stuff charitably but critically." And so, man, I thought it'd be great to talk to you a little bit about critical theory here.
1: Yeah, right on. I mean, that's a that's obviously a hot one. The idea of critical theory, critical race theory, which I think is something different, but the fact that it's moved down so quickly um, from the academia, the world of academia down into pop, popular culture, you know, and it's circulating so much in, in, in the news and in politics and on social media. So it's definitely worth, I think, thinking better about.
0: Yeah. So Ed, you did your, uh, you did your PhD. Uh, was that, is that Ball State? Is that right?
1: It was at Bowling Green, Bowling same Green. conference. Yeah, different school. That's right. That's Bowling right. Green State.
0: Bowling Green. Okay. And, and what, what was your PhD in?
1: So my PhD was in American Culture Studies.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, Bowling Green actually was one of the first schools in the country. I think it was back in the 50s, maybe early 60s, to start a culture studies program um, which is basically American. It's like American studies. It's, it's a sociology degree that's founded on critical theory. The very thing that we're, we're here to talk about, yeah. which to be honest, I didn't realize that going in, I didn't really understand that that's what I was signing up for. I had previously done two theological degrees at Trinity evangelical seminary and you know, obviously that's a more conservative evangelical degree, Mm-hmm. And I intentionally wanted to put myself in a secular environment to do my PhD, which I thought would just be a continuation of of one of those masters that I did at Trinity, which was uh, called Christianity and Contemporary Culture. Hmm. So it was thinking substantively about different you know aspects of our culture, politics, economics, mass media, all the different uh, urban, urban, the urban setting, the urban dynamic we dug into very deeply there. And I thought that would be a continuation, just in a secular environment, and it was, but it wasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. So you're you're kind of at the ground level, at least, uh, of critical theory uh, in the modern era. Uh, You're at the ground level, one of the one of the founding places where it began to be taught in PhD level. Can you tell it? Like, I know lived experience is kind of a a big deal in critical theory, and I want to hear about your lived experience, man. What was it like for you to come from Uh, uh, evangelical seminary to to that new experience of studying critical race or critical theory at least
1: yeah yeah no that's a very good question and i've been thinking about it a lot lately as i've been in these conversations so when i when i entered the program what i realized very quickly i always think about the beginning of wizard of oz when when dorothy first steps out of the house and Comes out into the new colored world and she says to Toto, We're not in Kansas anymore, you know? And I, right. and I remember feeling that way really right. for the whole first year that I just was in a really, really different space. That, that there was a, a different vocabulary being used, there were different cultural enemies that I wasn't expecting. And it became apparent pretty quickly that I actually was sort of the poster child for everything that they despised. Mm-hmm. So I was an older, white, heterosexual, um evangelical christian um gosh what were the other ones but any any of the hot spots that they were reacting against i represented and so that was obviously a new experience for me to just be the bad guy in every subject um and, and then the whole idea of it being founded in marxist theory i honestly even after you know, er, uh, undergrad years and doing theological degrees, I was completely ignorant, really, about Marxism. To me, Marxism was just bad communism that showed itself in Russia. Right. You know, it it, it that's about the extent of it. I just knew it was bad. And it's almost embarrassing to say that now, especially when you realize that, such a huge chunk of the world is enmeshed in communist thinking, socialist thinking, Marxist thinking, right? All the different um, ways of thinking about that. And I didn't know anything about it. And honestly, Parker, I don't think most, I don't think most Americans do. Yeah. It's just not part of our, of our educational upbringing. Obviously if you're an economist or you're a political theorist and you've spent time there, but, I was in that camp with most people and just was not familiar with what Marx's goals were or Mm -hmm. all the different offshoots of thinking that came from Marxism in the early 1900s and the midpoint of the last century. So it was all brand new to me.
0: Yeah, Yeah. man. Yeah. So there's a, I think we're going to, at a later date, we're going to get into more like the the critical theory side of critical theory and uh, the philosophy and uh, Marcuse and Adorno and some of those guys, but um, as you were, you were in this context, man, what it helped you get a, a better grip on it than a lot of us have. And so just this question, this initial question, which I think is um, really vague today and ambiguous, is, is critical theory a tool or is it a worldview? Well, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so I've thought a lot about that lately, actually. And I want to say that it's, it's both, yeah. Uh, um So let me even, let, let's go back even, let me answer that question by going back into the first question deeper yeah. as far as what I was realizing that I was stepping into. When we do, when we talk about the idea of a Marxist worldview, obviously there's all kinds of details that we could look at, but uh a short way to think about it, and maybe this is even an oversimplification, but in, what I realized is that the majority of the people that I was hanging out with wanted to see the world made into a better place. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so there were there were some radical elements. There were some some radical elements that were on the fringes that I think were driven by a lot of anger in their personal life, um, a lot of hurt in their personal life, and so their their embracing of a lot of this theory was as much as to try to work out their own. Uh, personal issues and again i know that's a generalization but i just that that's what was at the fringes but i felt like the majority of people that i was interacting with genuinely wanted to see the world become a better place and so the but the way they viewed the world was that and again this is generalization but i think i think it fits for for most of what i experienced that there is no god and so this life is all there is yeah you know, a very, very firm materialist perspective. What you see is what you get, and what's here is what's here, and then after that, that's it. And so if there is no God and what we have is what we have, then how do we make sense of life under the sun hmm. apart from God? What what do we how do we analyze what human relations look like and mean and what the end result of being human should be? And <clears throat> What I, what I realized is that, and people that are at all familiar with this conversation know that the language of oppressor and oppressed comes into play very significantly and very quickly, that, that there's this, this view of the world of those who have power and those who don't have power. Right. That's, that's just the template through which any analysis happens, who has power and who doesn't have power. And it, it becomes a study then, it becomes a study in trying to make sense of how that power is operating to keep people in their place and to keep them from being able to have total freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, simplification, but, but that's what it is. And so, and and there's a a very critical analysis of capitalism and the system of capitalism as being the root of, if not all, then certainly most evils, most human evils are tied to this capitalist system that forces us to operate. In a certain way, in our own mind, how we think about ourselves. It forces us to operate in a certain way in terms of how we think about other people and our relationships to other people, what has value or doesn't have value, how we use our time, how we view education. You can just look at every single aspect of society and every aspect of being human and ask, how does the capitalist system force us into? having to take a position that usually is not good for us. Okay. So everything that I just said, I mean, that, that can become an all encompassing worldview for people. And, and, but, but this is what I realized Parker too, just in, in having lots of conversations, I, my strategy in being an evangelical Christian there and really just my strategy of going to do a secular PhD, was that I, I, was, I was not going to not be the Christian guy. I, I was not, um, what's the word, dishonest about who I was or where I came from or what my role was in ministry. But at the same time, I was not there primarily to be that guy that is constantly trying to poke holes in everything that's being said. Obviously yeah. I was doing that in my own mind, but what I actually did was just submitted myself to the world view. I really wanted to try it on and and go for the ride and see where does this take us? I I feel su- sufficiently anchored to my commitment to Christ and my understanding of the Christian worldview that I haven't come across anything that would cause me to, to hand that over. Right. So it was almost a little game I played with myself to say, what if I laid that aside just for a second and I gave myself over to this worldview that they all seem to be so confident in? what would be the end result of that? Mm -hmm. And so I asked lots of questions and I really sought to understand why people thought the way they thought. And I asked very critical questions, uh, along the way. Um, and what I realized is that as a worldview, it fails. Yeah. Just like all worldviews do that, that don't have a conception of God. And it don't have a conception of sin and yeah. just some of the basic fundamental building blocks of Christianity that actually help make sense of the world in a way that I think is the, the best way to make sense of the world, mm-hmm. the most comprehensive way to make sense of the world. Um, so it fails as a worldview. And yet I found all kinds of insights that even today I think are very beneficial and, that I can say yes to and that make me wonder why don't we think more about this Mm. Uh, as far as, as far as how capitalism works, as far as, um, you know, the consumer orientation that we're brought up with from the time we're babies until the day we die, when we pay, you know, have to pay for a $7,000 funeral. Um, there's just lots of really, really good insights to be gained that I think align themselves with what they align themselves with a Christian worldview. There's the same kinds of questions I ask as a Christian minister. Yeah. So let me, I'll stop there. That was kind of a long monologue, but go ahead and poke at some of that or go somewhere with it.
0: That was so good. And I I think uh, an interesting point that you brought out and I've heard, I've heard this in your other uh, conversations is, is that aspect of Christianity where there's some real good that we can get from inspecting the world that way, because it's If anything, it's just putting yourself in a different pair of shoes and saying, well, how am I, let's look at the same thing from over here. And seeing that there's this Marxist uh, language about commodification, which I think is really helpful. You know, so I, I have a podcast here and I want to uh, unleash people like you. Uh, by the way, uh, Ed works for Athletes in Action. That's how we got hooked up. Forgot to do that in the intro. But um, I want to get your ideas out here. But then like at the same time, man, I gotta, I got to pay rent you know, and, and I got to commodify this so I can, you know, here, become a Patreon supporter. And I feel that that pull, even within this capitalistic society, I love capitalism, I'm a capitalist myself. But I do feel that pull of, hey, what, maybe I should say something more inflammatory, so more people watch, right? Or maybe I should come up, maybe I should figure out different ways to add more ads onto this thing. And I think that's also an interesting way to look at it from a Christian would see that just like someone really enmeshed in the critical theory worldview would see a a real critique of certain types of capitalism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it is good maybe even to lay down some more stakes just so whoever is listening to this is maybe trying to figure out then where I come down. I, I haven't changed I don't like the label of evangelical anymore, just because there is so much baggage attached to it that I don't think is accurate, at least to my worldview. But I am still in a kind of a classically orthodox conservative. I mean, there's another loaded word, That's Christian. Great. I still, I still kind of live inside of those words, and, and I'm okay with them. And yet, to do that well, I think actually should make me think quite liberally. Way more than most conservative people seem to feel comfortable with. In other words, in other words, when it comes to economic systems, because I'm an alien and a stranger in this world, and because i i have been I've been given a worldview that comes through the Bible, a theological grid that comes through the Bible uh, that says this world is is fallen and broken, and will only be put back together again by Christ at the end of time that he's coming back to usher in a new world. Mm -hmm. um, The seeds of which are being planted right now. I mean, that's a, that's a radical idea. It's a radical idea. And I, and I cling to that. But because of that, I can look at both capitalism and socialism and say, well, neither one of these is reflective of the kingdom. Yeah. Yes. I will still, you said this too. I'm not, I am not an anti-capitalist. I am not, spending all my energies trying to um, justify socialism or some other setup in place of it. I think, but I think capitalism is just as broke Mm. and inhuman um, in different ways, but just as inhuman as what ends up happening with socialism. It just looks different. It takes advantage of people in a different kind of way. It lulls them to sleep, to, um, to not be able to see what's most important in life to not invest in the things that matter the most along the way. I mean, it's just as destructive. Yeah. So I think Christians of all people should be in position to see that, but because we, we have what David French calls, um, Oh, what's the word that he used? I heard him say this yesterday. In a discussion, um, we wind up a Aligning ourselves on one side of the political divide or the other, and then we stop thinking well. Even as Christians, we stop thinking well because we have this impulse that that just causes us to see everything from that other side as having to be bad and evil, and not being able to be self-reflective enough about what's on this side. Yeah. And Christians, I think, should actually kind of transcend both of those sides and be able to look critically at both of them and see what's right in both of them and what's horribly wrong in both of them. Yeah. That's what I tried to do. And I'm still trying to do.
0: Yeah, man. And I I think that that's so important for us as Christians. I think that's a really good reminder that this isn't our home and I I see it with, you so I'm a conservative Christian, you know, Bible believing, uh, I believe in inspiration, you know, I believe in the classic doctrines. I am a classical evangelical in that sense, right? I'm cultural affirming. Like I'm not a, a fundamentalist. I'm not a liberal. I'm an evangelical, but uh, with that okay. conservative mentality comes conservative principles, which align with some some conservative uh, politics. But when they get so enmeshed that you can't distinguish the two, it gets really hard to start calling out conservative politicians because they're on my they're in my tribe. And what I've seen from you and what I appreciate the reason I wanted to have you on here is because I wanted to complexify things for people and say, hey. Like if you're gonna be a Christian, we need to be a Christian in our politics too. We need to be a Christian in the way we look at critical theory, in the way we look at critical race theory. We we can't just brush it off with a wave of the hand, uh, just like we wouldn't want to be brushed off with a wave of a hand.
1: That's right. Somebody had mentioned to me the other day, and I thought this was uh very apt for what we're talking about here, Parker. Uh when when Paul's at Mars Hill and he's disturbed in his spirit when he looks around and sees all the idolatry. But, but how does he interact with those people? And how does he, how does he start his speech? He, he says, look, I, I see that you're a very religious people. Right. I I get what you're trying to do here. You've got idols that you're, you're, you're trying to make sense of life. And I get it. I, I share that as a human being created in the Imago Dei. I understand what you're doing here. Uh, but let me, let me fill in some gaps for you. Yeah. And if I've done a good enough job of listening, and this is what I feel like even in our context, I, I, it just seems like we have, we have fallen prey to the same lack of, and I say, we conservative Christians have fallen prey to the same lack of civil discourse that's happening politically. Yeah. You know, between Democrats and Republicans out there in the secular world, Uh, violently opposed to each other, unable to listen to each other at all, um, Mm -hmm. unable to to be just with each other, working to get votes from people, being duplicitous, both sides, lying their butts off to just get what they need to get to stay in power. I almost feel like we've taken on that same demeanor towards people instead of, I keep thinking, you know, what is my, what is my, if my mission is supposed to be the Great Commission, I mean, let's just come back to like just the basics of the yeah. faith. If my mission in life is, has something to do with the Great Commission, which is to help people see Jesus, to help them be able to follow him, that's what he said. I'm going to leave you back here so that you can help other people become followers of me. Then how does me taking sides? I say this. how does me posting something from Fox News or from CNN fit into my evangelistic strategy? Right. Because once I've once I've put something up from one of these sides, it's like I've alienated this whole other group of people who I already know are angry and upset and disagree with this this political posting. Right, and so I've lost my opportunity, and I've lost my 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 window into being the Jesus guy. Yeah, I've now aligned myself with this secular political thing that's happening, and I'm not saying some people maybe are losing their minds hearing what I'm saying right now. I understand <laughs> that we need to engage and think politically. Right. I'm not opposed to that. I got, a, I got a degree in American culture studies because I want to be able to do that well. But at the same time, I can't lose my identity as a minister right. in the midst of that. So when pastors are posting stuff, when people inside our own organization are, are making uh, political statements online, I just say, well, Come on, man. Like you're, you're alienating a huge part of the audience that you actually should be trying to reach. Right. That's, that's not going to work. Yeah. So.
0: And I feel that because I could go and work for, uh, you know, uh, young Republicans or whatever. I can go to college campus. I think I'd be good at that. I think I'd be good if I just gave myself over to that. I think I could do a really good job. I think it make some good money doing that. Uh, I could I could go work for you know yeah. a liber- libertarian group. I think I could change some of my beliefs and and, and really jump in full hearted there. But I gotta keep reminding myself that I work for the the kingdom, you know that's that's my business and it doesn't mean like you said like I'm just gonna shut my mouth. I don't talk about politics, forever. But like you said, man, I'm not gonna put the banner out on my social media that says I'm I'm for this guy. I'm gonna be evangelistic evangelistic for this party. It's like man, I want to be the Jesus guy. And I think what's encouraging about you is that you, uh, well, so we need to come back to this actually real quick before we end here. Um, you Obviously, we can't take on the critical theory worldview and, and all the different angles that it takes. We can't fully embrace that because as you said, you know, we think that that's bankrupt. But so then can we use it as a tool uh, like Paul did, becoming all things to all people or should we just, you know, is it the 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 ring of power that we should just throw into Mount Doom and, and let it burn up?
1: I mean, my answer is that I I think it's a very effective tool. Hmm. Now again, what are we talking about? And we and we haven't really gotten into that. So like you said, we'll have to, we'll have to come back and dig deeper into into the specifics. Yeah, I I think it's absolutely worth. Power is not something that the Bible is afraid to look at. Hmm. I was just looking in. I was reading in Ecclesiastes the other day, in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one. I don't, I don't actually have it in front of me here, but the writer says, "I looked at at life under the sun, and I saw that there were oppressors, and hmm. there were oppressed, and there were people that took advantage of other people." I mean, that yeah. statement—it sounds like something straight out of a critical race theory text. Right. I don't I don't Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books and I don't even remember having seen that language in there before. There's several places where where he the king of Israel looks and says, I've seen this evil under the sun that people take advantage of each other.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's not a theme that I need to be afraid to look at or that is some wildly unbiblical idea to right. to divide the world to have a lens that looks to see how power gets used and how it gets used inappropriately yeah. and how people suffer because of it. I think that's a, a, a wonderful tool of analysis. Now I don't agree with the conclusions that always are drawn because of that. And um it, it's interesting. I realized this in the middle of listening to, to my friends back then wanting to take on the ideologies of the day. OK, so going after capitalism, going after conservatism, going after Christianity, going after all the different tools of power that they see being used to oppress people. And I say, OK, let's take those down. Then what are you going to replace them with? Right. Because ultimately, that's why socialism and communism always fail anyways, because you can talk about trying to level the playing field all you want. But because there's sin in people's hearts, somebody's going to take over again. Right. right. That, that's just the history of that's the history of the world people will take power whether you give it to them or not somebody's going to fill that void and so in in your efforts to take down and deconstruct ideology you're basically going to end up replacing it with something Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of silence then you know when you say that or some people are very clear about what their ideology is going to be it's nihilism it's just it's just destruction for destruction's sake right I'm not going to let – I may not have, but I'm not going to let you have, and I'm just going to make it my life's aim to try to destroy and take things down. And, well, I say, well, that's not – I can't sign up for that. That's not a humane replacement for the oppressor Right is to basically <laughs> become a, a destroyer. Yeah. And that's your only aim. Um, and And you can talk all day long about not wanting to be oppressed by – the lines that get drawn around people. So I felt like it was a real project to try to erase whatever lines have been drawn around us gender wise, whatever rules are being put in place that those, those need to go away Hmm. because those are, and they constrain my freedom. Okay whether it's a stop sign at the end of the road, or it's telling me that I'm not allowed to have sex with a 16 year old without, without that being criminalized. Okay. I mean, we talked about all those things we need to remove all constraints on my freedom. But of course, then you have chaos, right? So is that, is that a humane way to live? Well, for all the deconstructing and the that you want to do, and in fact, what you wind up doing is you just replace those lines with your own set of lines to say, these are the only questions that you can ask. These are the only ways to think about issues. This is the only way to think about gender. You can never question this. You can, well, dang, now you sound just like the conservative fundamentalist that you wanted to take down. You're just yeah. a new version of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen some so of
1: that bad, bad worldview, bad worldview, bad totalizing worldview, definitely some insights to be gained that are useful and that have Christian response Yeah, that I think are worth digging into. And like you said, next time when we get together, let's talk specifics about some of those. I think it would be worth, worth digging into for people.
0: Yeah. Ed, thanks, thanks so much for your time, man. This was, this was great to, to get uh, everyone a little bit of taste and get some of your background in here. Look forward to, uh, to connecting again and, and getting more in-depth, thinking more critically about critical theory. So uh thanks uh for everyone listening uh, tune right to tune into part 2. All right.